This evening, we read from Habakkuk chapter 3, the third chapter of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3 is found on page 935 in the Pew Bibles. This is the inspired word of our God from the third chapter of Habakkuk. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shagionoth, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman. And the Holy One from Mount Paran, his splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered, the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, and may the Lord bless the reading and the study of his word 
to your life and to my life as we look at it together this evening. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, Habakkuk lived in a world that was filled with fear. He lived in the nation of Judah, and it was a nation a lot like ours. It was violent. It was unjust. It was wicked. And because of all the wickedness that he saw in the nation of Judah where he lived, Habakkuk brought this complaint to the Lord in chapter 1, verse 2 to verse 4. He brings his complaint to the Lord, and he says, O Lord, how long must I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. But the Lord, despite what Habakkuk said, certainly knew what was going on in Judah. And his response to Habakkuk showed that the Lord knew exactly how wicked the nation of Judah was. Because of Judah's wickedness, the Lord told Habakkuk that he would send in the Chaldeans, better known as the Babylonians, to take Judah into captivity, leaving nothing but misery and sorrow. In Habakkuk 1, verse 6 and 7, the Lord answered Habakkuk's complaint by saying, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the whole breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. The Chaldeans, the Babylonians, were known to be absolutely heartless if there was ever a nation that you did not want to invade your land, it was the Chaldeans or Babylonians. I suppose it would be like having the North Koreans or the Chinese come in and invade us. No wonder. In verse 16 of chapter 3 in this prayer of Habakkuk, he writes, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. And yet, in verse 17 and 18 of this third chapter, Habakkuk expresses confidence even joy and thanksgiving, although he faced the invasion by the Chaldeans, by the Babylonians. Amid incredibly hard circumstances, verse 17 and 18 contain a powerful and beautiful expression of trust and confidence in the Lord. He writes, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. 
what enabled Habakkuk to be so thankful, even as the Chaldeans were marching in? What enabled him to be filled with joy amid social chaos? What enabled him to praise God even as his nation faced impending poverty and captivity by the Chaldeans or Babylonians? Habakkuk could be thankful, rejoicing in God even in that situation because first he recognized God's hand in history. In verse 2, in this prayer, he writes, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. He begins by praying, Lord, I have heard the report of you. Or as some translations put it, Lord, I have heard of your fame. And having heard the report of God's fame, Habakkuk prays, your work, O Lord, do I fear? In other words, I stand in awe of your deeds. And then he recounts those deeds poetically, deeds of God's power and might throughout history, events that are recorded in Scripture. The great and powerful deeds of God that Habakkuk reflected on in prayer included deliverance of Israel from Egypt. Verse 3 and 4 describe the glory of the Lord. His glory and his splendor included the cloud of glory and that pillar of fire that the Lord used as he led Israel out of bondage and through the desert toward the promised land. Verse 5 describes the plagues and the pestilence that the Lord brought as divine punishment. He allowed those plagues and pestilences, pandemics, if you will, to come not only on Pharaoh and upon the Egyptians, but also throughout history. The Lord has allowed great tragedy. We experienced a pandemic which took us by surprise. But it was certainly no surprise to the Lord. He allows pandemics. He allows events that are hard for nations, for his own purposes. And consequently, when hardships come, we are to respond as Habakkuk responded. And we are to respond as that man who suffered so much, Job responded, when he had lost all that he had. You recall how his wife told him to simply curse God and die. And Job responded by saying, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Verse 6 to verse 10 continue to describe poetically God's power. His power brought fear into the nations who heard about the deliverance of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt. These verses are poetic descriptions of the Lord making the nations tremble as he brought his people toward the promised land. As Habakkuk reflected on God's work in history, he wrote in verse 7, I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction, the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. 
in verse 8 and 9, he describes God's power over the waters. In Exodus 7, we read how God certainly had power over the Nile River, turning that river into a river of blood to the shock and dismay of the Egyptians. He displayed his power again when he separated the waters of the Red Sea so that his people could walk through unscathed on dry ground even as those waves came crashing down on the pursuing Egyptian army. And later, as Israel entered into the promised land, the Lord again separated the waters, this time the Jordan River, so that Israel could pass through in safety. No wonder Habakkuk wrote in verse 9 and verse 10, you split the earth with rivers, the mountains saw you and writhed, the raging waters swept on, the deep gave forth its voice, it lifted its hands, its waves on high. Verse 11 speaks of the sun and the moon standing still. Habakkuk is reflecting on that battle that Joshua waged against the Amorites when he needed more time for victory and the Lord, in response to his request, allowed the sun to stand still, giving Israel the upper hand against their enemies. Verse 12 describes the threshing of the nations. Even the walled city of Jericho fell by the Lord's awesome power. Habakkuk remembered God's work in history. He remembered that all of history is his story, as it were. And as he did so, he prayed, O oh Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O oh Lord, do I fear. Or as some translate, verse 2, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O oh Lord. And as Habakkuk reflected on God's rule throughout history, he rejoiced. His primary thought wasn't that there would be no figs on the tree, no grapes on the vine, that there would be no sheep in the pen or cattle in the stalls, that there would be no produce coming from the field. No, his primary thought even as the Chaldeans were ready to march in and take Judah captive, was God. God is the Lord of history. All history is truly his story. God is working through the sad events of this fallen world, and he is working through the hard circumstances in my life. And because of that, I will rejoice, even if there are no figs on the tree, no grapes on the vine, no cattle in the stalls, no sheep in the pen. Even if the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, yet my God, the God of my salvation, is the Lord of history, and he works through the rising and the falling of nations according to his will, for his purpose, and according to his plan. As Habakkuk reflected, on God's work in history, he realized, secondly, that the Lord always rescues his people. The Lord may allow his people to be in bondage, as Israel was in bondage in Egypt, 
and later the Assyrians took Israel into captivity, even as the Babylonians took the Judeans into captivity. And we see in our day where many Christians are certainly in captivity by the evil nations in which they live, but God always rescues his people. In fact, the entire story of the Bible is the account of God rescuing his people. It begins with that mother promise in Genesis 3.15, the proto-evangelium, the first mention of the gospel, that God will provide a redeemer who will crush the serpent. And that great promise and all the promises that flow from that great mother promise, if you will, of Genesis 3.15, all the promises that flow from it are woven throughout the Bible. Because of sin, God's people are in bondage, but God always delivers his people. In the Old Testament, Israel was in bondage to Egypt, but God delivered them. Later, Assyria took Israel into captivity, and the Babylonians would do the same to the people of Judah. But God turned the hearts of kings, raising up the Medes and the Persians to topple the Babylonians and to grant the exiles from Judah the permission to go back to their cities, to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem and to rebuild the wall and rebuild their home. In the pages of Scripture, we see that everyone who is apart from Christ is in bondage to sin and Satan. Indeed, before you and I were graciously drawn out of our sin and misery and into the uh, gracious embrace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we also were in bondage to sin and to Satan. But God rescues his people. And nowhere is that more clearly seen than at Calvary. As Jesus was nailed to the cross and crucified between two criminals, it looked as though he was defeated. It looked as though his teaching, his ministry of love and compassion and healing was over. Life ebbed from his body, while below him, those looking up at the cross taunted and ridiculed him and said, if you are the Son of God, come down from there, save yourself and save us too. But in actuality, Jesus, by his death and resurrection, achieved the greatest victory and the largest war ever fought. He defeated Satan and sin and death in its every form through his life of obedience, his sacrificial death, and his glorious resurrection. But when God delivers his people, it often seems to be just at the nick of time. Habakkuk writes about that in verse 13 to verse 15 as he describes poetically the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. He also refers to the domination of Israel's enemies as he notes in verse 13 how the Lord crushed the head of the house of the wicked for the salvation of his people. Habakkuk is recounting how in the very nick of time God rescued his people from bondage in Egypt 
and also gave them conquest over the Canaanite nations. It will be much the same way when Jesus returns to rescue his people at the last day, at the end of time. In Matthew 24, verse 24, Jesus warns false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. But Jesus also assures us in Matthew 24, verse 22, for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Admittedly, the grapes would not be on the vine. There would be no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. The fields would produce no food. Yet Habakkuk could rejoice because he realized that God always delivers and provides for his people in his own way at his own time. Habakkuk, like all the other Old Testament believers, looked forward in faith to how God would send the Messiah, his only begotten son, the eternal Christ, to deliver his people from the greatest captivity ever known. Captivity not to an individual nation, but captivity to sin and to Satan. But Christ delivers his people and his deliverance is perfect and complete and acted at Calvary and guaranteed eternal. Third, Habakkuk realized that because the Lord directs history and rescues his people, the Lord is also sovereign even over the most bleak sad, depressing experiences of life. It is that knowledge which gave him the encouragement and the strength that he needed, even knowing that the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, would be marching in to take Judah into captivity. Verse 17 and 18 make for classic poetry. Ben Franklin once read these verses to a group of friends of his who were uh, part of a group of poets, they all appreciated poetry and they would get together on a regular basis to read poems to each other that they had found especially meaningful. But knowing that his friends were skeptics of the Bible, Franklin didn't tell them where this poetry came from, but he read verse 17 and 18, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And the skeptics were surprised that such beautiful and lofty poetry is found in the pages of Holy Scripture. But I don't know if they ever got the point of the passage. The point of the passage is that the Lord will see his people through even the most bleak, hard, tragic situations of life. And because of that, 
We who have saving faith in Christ find strength and joy even when facing the hardest circumstances and situations in our lives. Even in adversity, we can echo those words of Habakkuk. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The adversity that Habakkuk faced included the impending invasion of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. Through their destructive forces and Judah's captivity, there would be no olive crop. There would be no sheep in the pen or grapes on the vine, no crops in the field. For us, it may be uncertainty about the future as we see the events of our nation and world unfold, many of us have deep concerns for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, and whatever other generations the Lord in his wisdom might be pleased to allow to live on this planet Earth. Looking to the future, we have great concerns about the economy, about political leaders, and the legislation they plan to impose, not only for our nation, but for the nations of the world. There are so many concerns. But if we truly see God's hand in all things, that he is sovereign even over the bleakest, darkest moments of our lives, then we too can echo those words of Habakkuk in verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk realized that the Lord would give him the strength that he needed when that invasion came. He realized that whatever hardships were in store for him, the Lord would give him that strength that he needed. He writes about that in verse 19, a verse reminiscent of David's similar profession in 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-four. 34. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk realized that no matter how severe the Babylonian invasion would be, God would strengthen his people. Habakkuk realized the truth that the apostle Paul would write about centuries later, there in Philippians 4:13, where he writes, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How else? How else do we apply this unique experience of Habakkuk to our lives this evening? We too live in a world that is filled with fear. Yet in such a world, we can find joyful confidence in God our Savior, just as Habakkuk did so long ago. What was the source of Habakkuk's strength? It was the presence of God in answer to prayer. Habakkuk was strengthened through prayer. You may have noticed that the subscript to this chapter describes the, the chapter as a prayer of the prophet Habakkuk. 
And the postscript describes how it was used by the director of music with stringed instruments. In that way, the prayer of Habakkuk is similar to many of the Psalms. Consider how many prayers of David are recorded in the Psalms, prayers that sprang from situations of injustice, violence, and evil of every type imaginable. When David was on the run, hiding out from wicked King Saul, it was the power of prayer as he realized God's presence and God's protection in answer to prayer, which sustained him and comforted him. It was the same when he faced the enemies that Israel would go out into battle against. So often they were outnumbered, but David's strength was from the Lord as David called out to the Lord in prayer. The same was true when he was a boy and he watched over the flocks for his father and he would have to uh, guard the sheep from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. And even then, as a young boy, his strength was found in the Lord as he focused upon him in prayer. Prayer was also his consolation after recognizing the enormity of his sin with Bathsheba and also when he counted the census sinfully later on, as he poured out his soul to the Lord in prayer, he found forgiveness and he found God's grace and the strength to go on. And the same, the same is true for you and the same is true for me. As we see that our world is violent, it's corrupt, filled with injustice, malice, deceit, and hostility, we find our strength in prayer. Through prayer, we find a peace which surpasses all understanding. In prayer, we find the fulfillment of Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Habakkuk, David, and all the other Old Testament believers discovered the power of prayer long before the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write that letter to the Philippian church. And yet, believers in every era, certainly in our era today, are often so sidetracked by the things of this fallen world that we spend little time in prayer. Most of us, I'm sure, spend far more time on the internet or in front of the TV set than we do in prayer and in the word of God. And as such, we miss out on the blessings of a full prayer life. It is to our detriment. The familiar hymn is such an accurate description of so many of us. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything 
to God in prayer? Because we get so caught up in the vain trivialities of this fallen world, the Lord often allows trouble and hardship to come into our lives to drive us to our knees so that we pour out our hearts to him in fervent prayer. Another hymn addresses that truth. We say, let sorrow do its work. Send grief and pain. Sweet are thy messengers, sweet their refrain. When they can sing with me, more love, O Lord, to thee. More love to thee. Is it possible that one of the reasons why the Lord has allowed our recent history to be so turbulent and troubled and sorrowful is so that people like you and people like me will be more serious about faithfully, fervently, and joyfully praying to the Lord? It is in prayer, especially as prayer flows from the pages of Scripture, that we are strengthened by the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit who inspired the Holy Scriptures also lives within the hearts and lives of believers and intercedes, Romans 8, verse 26 and 27 tells us, with groanings too deep for words, praying for us according to the will of God. And at the right hand of God the Father, there is Jesus interceding on our behalf our great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, the eternal God in human flesh, knowing exactly what it's like to be tempted, knowing all the sorrows of life, knowing what it's like to be in a body of flesh, interceding sympathetically on our behalf. We are strengthened in prayer even as Jesus was strengthened in prayer during all the sorrows and troubles of his life here on earth as he poured out his prayers to his heavenly Father. And it was through Habakkuk's prayer, as it sprang from his knowledge of God's great and awesome deeds throughout history, that Habakkuk was reminded of the Lord's faithful work in delivering his people and providing for his people. It was through his prayer, which recounted to the Lord the truths of his word, that Habakkuk was reminded how throughout history God has faithfully preserved his people. And it was through his prayer that Habakkuk was reminded that since the sovereign Lord is our strength, we need not fear the future, for no matter what comes up in our lives, our lives are in the hands of the Son and the hands of the Father. Jesus said that he laid down his life for the sheep and no one can snatch them from his hand. And he says, no one can snatch them from my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, a triple protection given to every believer. That peace that Habakkuk had, even as he faced the fury of the Chaldean army, is a peace extended to you and to me, but it is only found through saving faith in Jesus Christ. Habakkuk asked the Lord in verse 2, 
in wrath. Remember mercy. In its ultimate sense, that prayer request was met not just by God's righteous and proper wrath at the sins of Judah, as he used the Chaldeans to be an instrument of, of discipline on them. In its ultimate sense, that prayer request, asking God in wrath to remember mercy, was answered more than 600 years later when Jesus bore the curse for your sins and mine on the cross of Calvary. There on the cross, the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, bore the full brunt of God's righteous and proper wrath at our sin. There on the cross, Jesus bore the curse of the sin of all who, by his grace, have saving faith in him alone. On the cross, in wrath, righteous and proper wrath, God remembered mercy and sent his son to be that curse for us, our substitute, that through him we are forgiven of our sins, imputed with his righteous record of obedience and heirs of everlasting life. If this evening you have, by God's grace, and indwelling spirit, true saving faith in Christ alone, then you can go out into a world so similar to that world in which Habakkuk lived so long ago, and you can go into that world with that same joyful confidence. We live in a world filled with violence, immorality, and political upheaval. We look at the dawn of each new year, and we hope that it will be better than the year before. And yet we have no assurance that it will be. Instead, we have the certain statement of our Lord from John 16, 33. In that chapter, Jesus told his disciples how he would be leaving them. He told them they would be scattered each to their own place. They would face persecution, sorrow, and most of them martyred him. And yet, the Lord offered them peace. Jesus assured them, and he assures you and me. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, Jesus said. I have overcome the world. And he says, come unto, unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. May that comfort, may that rest, that peace, that joyful confidence be yours and be mine. May we echo from the heart the words of Habakkuk who even as he faced the hostility and domination and totalitarianism of the Babylonian invasion exclaimed, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Amen. Lord our God, we thank you that in the tribulation and troubles of life, we can yet have that joyful confidence that your believers have had in every era of time, not because of any strength in ourselves, but because of your grace and mercy and the strength that you impart to all who call upon you in true 
faith and humble repentance. Lord, we thank you for that redeeming love that you have loved us with. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.